This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malott. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 2. This season, the focus is on listening to the voices of our Black friends, neighbors, and strangers in order that we might better learn from their experiences of what it's like being Black in America. My guest today is Josh Williams, a filmmaker, producer, and podcaster originally from Virginia Beach, Virginia. He's also probably the nicest guy you'll ever meet, hands down. He's an extremely outgoing, happy-go-lucky person who, above all, desires peace between all people. He is wise beyond his years. I'd like to give a shout out to his prodigious parents for all the love, work, and education they filled him with and raised this astounding, talented young man who knows who he is and how he wants to help this world with the gifts he has to offer. Those gifts include the talent for producing, writing, and editing meaningful narrative-based media content. He's a storyteller first and foremost. He's the creator of the audio drama, The Miseducation of John Mark, which he will expound on in detail during our visit. In this episode, we touch on gentrification, police violence, and loving versus vilifying our enemies. You're in for a real treat today. Well, Josh, I am so excited to be visiting with you today. This is going to be such a spectacular encounter. I can already tell. Yeah, I'm excited. Let's go. Oh, great. All right. We're just going to dive right in. You could have three people over for dinner, dead or alive. Who would they be and why? Uh, I think I overthought this question a lot, (laughs) (laughs) but I will say uh, Chadwick Boseman, number one, um, Mm, just because of his recent passing. And, you know, I didn't get a chance to, to speak before, before he died. So I would love to sit down with him and mm-hmm. hear uh, about his life and how he got to where he was um, in his own words. Mm-hmm. Um, so R.I.P. Chadwick. Two, I'd probably have to say I have to go Walt Disney, I think. Um, I think just because of his imagination mm-hmm. uh, and from a business perspective, how he inspired people through a brand like um, – you know, I've been trying to study other business leaders and see how they're doing things. And I definitely do a case study on Walt Disney because he's created this company that has lasted, uh, you know, past his death for years, mm-hmm. decades, that is still going and it's still a powerful, strong company. So definitely would want to talk to him. Number three, and I have to go King Solomon from the Bible, man, like the, the wisest person that ever lived, one of the richest person that ever lived. Um, Proverbs, a lot of incredible wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Um, so sitting with him, I'd feel like I'd get my mind blown, but also get a download of how I can live this life better. Oh, I love how you put that. A download on how to live life better. That's, yeah. that's really cool. <laughs> well, and I love how each person's invitation list reveals a little more about them. And I can totally see Walt Disney, uh, why Walt Disney inspires you as a filmmaker and mm-hmm. the things that intrigue you, it's very personal to who you are. And I just think that's beautiful. I love the uniqueness of each personality and taking the time to get to know that. And yeah, well, I have been um, stalking you on um, Instagram a little bit. And, <laughs> okay, um, okay. 
<laughs> well, I notice you come from an incredibly musical family. Yes. Um, oh my goodness. Your sister's voice, your Christmas carols, your tell me what it was like growing up in your household. Was it like music 24 seven? Or I would love to know what it was like growing up to be you. Yeah. So I, um, I have two sisters and, you know, I grew up with my parents as well, both my parents and they actually don't, you know, really sing or play instruments, but all three of us did. Um, and so from a young age, all of us took piano lessons. Uh, we were in the choirs. I was in band. Uh, my sisters, my sister was in orchestra. My other sister was in choir. Mm -hmm. So we did a little bit of everything growing up. So usually our uh, winter months and our spring months were full of concerts, recitals, all over the place. We were also homeschooled. Mm -hmm. um, so grew, we grew up all pretty close to each other. Um, we still went to a like a homeschool co-op twice a week where we took our music lessons, um, got to socially interact with other people. <laughs> growing up, it was it was fun. Um, you know, growing up, uh, I love my parents so much and they've taught me so many incredible lessons of of how to treat people right and respect other people. Mm -hmm. And um, I think also growing up with sisters, it taught me uh, how to treat people better also oh, yeah you know, you know loving my sisters you know when oh yeah disagreements and you know even still at, at you know at, at my age I'm still learning to do that better mm -hmm. um but yeah growing up as a loving household I, I I love the way my parents raised me and I'm thankful for the experience that is incredible what a testament to your parents right Absolutely. the choices they made and they weren't even musical themselves, but they saw the benefit and the beauty in that. And they gave you such a gift. Wow. And so tell me about your homeschooling. I actually homeschooled my kids for eight years. Did you oh. get homeschooled your entire uh, school career? Yes, I did. And it was an incredible experience. I, I learned uh, a lot. Um, I got to participate in a whole lot of things. I don't know if I'd technically be the same person if I went to public school. No, just to public school, but it's just, it's just a different environment. Yeah. Your journey required this path. Right, exactly. For sure. Man, that's incredible. More kudos to your parents. I think yes. I'm going to leave this, this uh, conversation like in awe of your parents. <laughs> <laughs> After homeschooling, did you mm -hmm. go on to college? Did you always know you wanted to be a filmmaker, music producer? Did you always know this was, in, this was something you wanted to do? Or did you discover this when you went off to school? No, this is kind of, well, filmmaking I discovered later on. Uh, but growing up, you know, I had always done music 24-7, you know, uh, in a lot of different capacities. And I knew I had a talent for it. So I knew I always wanted to do something with it. As I got older, I got into filmmaking, although I had always been into acting. And I always loved watching behind the scenes of films. And mm -hmm. so I did, you know, my typical stop motion animations. I filmed some movies on my webcam. Mm -hmm. um, I, I did a documentary uh, for a play that I was a part of. And we actually got to screen that at a theater um, when we watched a recording of the play. So that was a really cool moment. Um, and from there, I started shooting stuff. I started shooting videos for nonprofits at my church. And then I went to film school, mm -hmm. um, wanting to pursue film and, and, you know, really get a handle on directing. Um, and so I went to film school and um, that was in, in a good experience for me. And then after that, I started working at a, a, a real estate company and started as a videographer. And then I gradually moved up to being head of the media department. So I learned a lot about marketing and ads and stuff. And so eventually got into podcasting from there. 
uh, discovered that I really loved doing stuff with audio. And yeah. I always, always loved uh, audio dramas. Um, there's one I watched growing or listened to growing up. Um, and then I felt that I had a story to tell and I wanted to use the medium and and that's kind of how where I got to where I am today. So I've always known I wanted to do something in the arts, and I knew that's what I was called to do. And so I kind of made a pact with myself that I wasn't going to do a job that was outside of my talent skills. And so, mm -hmm. you know, when I got out of school, it was like Good videography, you. Um, you know, because I didn't want to be sucked into a life that I hated living. <laughs> so For sure. How exciting. Well, I usually take a different course of action with my questions, but I think talking about your filmmaking this is a perfect seg segue to talk about your audio drama, The Miseducation of John Mark. Mm -hmm. I, I want to get that out there earlier than later because it talks about all the topics that I want to cover also in my yeah. podcast. And I don't think we can talk about them enough. So I'm so glad you have your version of that out there. And it is so incredibly creative. So I, I'd like to talk a little bit about how you came up with this idea, what spawned it? Was there an actual event in your life that spawned this? And this obviously comes from someplace deep in your heart. Yeah. Um, this is a beautiful thing to listen to and it is linked in the show notes. I encourage every single person to go to Josh's YouTube channel and uh, watch it. Um, it's an eight episode uh, yes. series, isn't it? Mm -hmm. yes. Okay, yeah, go ahead and just start from the beginning. All right, well, for those who don't know, uh, I have a podcast called The Miseducation of John Mark. It's an eight-episode drama telling the story of a community that's torn apart by a controversial police shooting and kind of how the question, what is justice, can inspire vastly different answers for different people. And so throughout the story, this unassuming activist, John Mark, sets out to unite his divided city and to stop the town from descending into chaos. Uh, but the question is, will he succeed or only make things worse? And so we deal with... Um, you know, different themes of civil unrest, racial tension, gentrification, police violence, political extremism, all in this, all packed into this series. You know, we're just trying to incite conversation. And so the story came about um, really as a reaction to, I think it was around 2015, 2016. There was a kind of a, a lot of strings of police shootings that were kind of excessive in their violence. Um, mm -hmm. The one that stood out to me the most was Philando Castile. Mm -hmm. um, who was shot, uh, I believe it was six or seven times uh, at close range, um, technically for really doing nothing. Um, sitting in his car. Yeah. Sitting in his car. His uh, girlfriend was next to him and his uh, child mm -hmm. was in the back seat. And, mm -hmm. you know, he's telling the officer, I do have a gun. Um, you know, I'm, reach I am, I'm reaching for my wallet, but I am, you know, registered to carry a gun. Police officer flipped out and shot him. Uh, mm -hmm. And seeing, going on my news feed, and seeing how people were reacting to that made me go, what? Well, this guy deserved to die. Is that what I'm hearing here? Uh, yeah. He had followed police orders more closely, but he was, and he ended up getting shot. Mm -hmm. Like, and also, you know, then there was more. And I think that year there was at least, I think, three or four major ones. Tamir Rice, I think he was uh somewhere nine or 12 years old i can't remember which one mm -hmm. um but had a fake gun in public police show up on the scene next thing you know he's dead um mm -hmm. didn't get a chance really to defend himself mm -hmm. um and wasn't uh, it just a bb gun or yeah, like a, even a pretend gun i think plastic it was a toy gun yeah it was a toy gun yeah yeah it was a toy gun um and so his life ended 
that way. Tragically. Um, and then, of course, yeah. And then, of course, recently, you know, this past year, George Floyd and um, uh, although the death of the Maude Aubrey wasn't by police, it was still, you know, something in the sense of that same vein. Mm -hmm. um, and so back then, the idea came to mind of what if there's this character that kind of showed up on the scene and really advocated for change, but was able to reach a different amount of people, different groups of people with his message. And so the seed of the character came and I had the concept for this character named John Mark. Um, who I believe I've kind of based largely off myself um, as far as my viewpoints and off of mm -hmm. uh, just different people, uh, you know, different activists and even Jesus himself. Um, and so then the ideas for the other characters start coming, but I didn't have an overarching story until last year. And then all of a sudden it clicked. Okay, the death of this unarmed black man by police kicks everything off. Then mm -hmm. you have the different factions of the town. You have this mayor that's trying to uh, regain, con keep control of the city, but in its own selfish ambitions. You've got uh, this other officer that's starting to rise up in the ranks. Um, you've got uh, this uh, Sarah West character who's trying to uh, pull a more conservative viewpoint and sway people that mm -hmm. way. And then you've got this other guy, Kai, who's trying to sway people more of a more militant black way. Mm -hmm. So you have all these different voices, all these different opinions going at it. And in the middle, John Mark is advocating for, we need to recognize that there are problems, but we need to work together to solve them. Because if we don't, everyone's going to keep going off on their own deep ends. And so that's really what we wanted to address in the series and how I ended up creating it. What a beautiful way to address it. Because stories, as you obviously know, being a storyteller, filmmaker, people interpret stories and they hear stories in a very non-threatening vein. Stories don't tell you what to do. They let you interpret them wherever you are in your life. And I think that's very wise of you. Thank you. I wanna discuss one of the topics that you have on one of your episodes where you discuss gentrification. Um, we haven't talked about this yet on the Gramercy podcast, and I'm really curious to know, is gentrification seen as a racist act or can it be seen as a kind act coming in and helping to uplift an economically depressed area. Could you speak to that for me? Yeah, so I think it can be used for good, um, but I've seen it you know, a lot of times not used in that way, mm -hmm. uh, or at least in the way that they get to the end result. Mm -hmm. So I give you an example. So in the series, um, in that episode, in particular episode four, we discussed that the basically housing project is going to be torn down um, in the community because the city wants to revamp the area and make it more shiny and more tourist friendly. Mm -hmm. I've heard that a lot. Yeah. Um, but I, as we were researching the idea, we realized that, you know, there's a lot of situations where the people that were in these communities, you know, wouldn't be uh, given enough to move out or they were being forced to move out really rapidly. And because of the rising uh, rates in those areas, they would have to either move out of the city or find somewhere completely different to live. Um, and so it was a situation where uh, the city government was pushing people out um, to, in order to revamp these areas. And mm -hmm. they weren't, um, you know, basically treating their citizens right. Like, I'm, to be honest, like I was looking at it and there was a lot of protests for um, advocating to, hey, save our neighborhood. Like, I want to still live in the city, but because of the situation I'm in, my financial situation, I lost my job due to COVID, I can't pay to afford the rent rates around here. Mm -hmm. um, so at least if you're going to move us out, could you possibly consider replacement housing? You know, sure. that was the situation. 
Now, I do believe that, you know, people should work and people should work hard. And I do, you know, believe that. But not everyone's in a situation where they're making enough to be able to afford, um, you know, the rent. And so those people need housing projects. And so, I, you know, that's kind of the situation a lot of people are in. And so to, you know, not to displace people and not mm -hmm. to take care of them first. And, and, you know, a lot of times they weren't even returning calls. They weren't. Um, you know, talking to people, this is mm. you know, not just in, in my area, but I've seen this in other places too, but, and a lot of times I have seen it being driven by, you know, well, this community is rough. This community is, is, uh, you know, yeah, it's a little sadly. Rough, so we're going to, we're going to clean it up, which, you know, I, it, it's, it's very, it's a very tough position to be in, especially I, I know city council is not as black and white as I may make it seem. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, you know, treat people right. Uh, first. For sure. Uh, people profits, over profits. Yeah. Right. I would say, <laughs> you know, you take care of people, then you can worry about the profit, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was in some other rhetoric too, that came across that I was like, whoa, okay, that's a little shady. <laughs> so yeah, that kind of inspired addressing that issue. I so appreciate that you're addressing all of these issues um, and doing it in such a non-threatening manner. This is, this is just beautiful. Um, I want to go back to your, um, your homeschooling. It, it makes me wonder being that you were taught by your, was it mom or dad? Mostly yeah, mom. Yeah. your mom. Yeah. Did they tell you and give you the talk about racism? Tell me about what it was like and how you learned about racism in your own home. Yeah, I would actually say it maybe came from my dad more. And, you know, it's interesting. My parents were both alive during the civil rights movement. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they were catching the tail end of, of segregation. My dad remembers when Martin Luther King Jr. died. He, he remember running into his mom's room and telling her. And so, you know, they grew up, um, yeah. you know, in that in that era still very because, I mean, segregation only ended I know. like 50, 50 ish, 60 years ago, I think. That's so, horrible actually <laughs> right yeah i mean but i mean that's that's a reality and so for me you know that stuff just doesn't disappear overnight like it, it changes doesn't. it takes a mind change from generations to or to un, undo that mindset and mm -hmm. you know if you're not actively you know saying okay why do i think this way you know mm -hmm. you'll continue down that path because human nature just repeats itself yes um, so but uh but yeah my dad i remember my dad um saying like hey son don't putting your hands in your pockets when you're in the store um, because you don't want people to think that you're stealing. Um, you know, don't really wear a hoodie when you're in, um, in inside or, uh, you know, at night or walk around at night because you don't want people to think you're a burglar or think that, you know, you're up to no good. And so, you know, he grew up in D.C. And, um, you know, and I'm, I'm still to this day very conscious of that. Like I'm very conscious of trying not to, to still do those things because I don't want any of my intentions to be mistook because I've seen it happen to, you know, people I know. Um, mm. And, and I, it, it hasn't been a, uh, you know, I haven't had a serious encounter with, uh, you know, that, but okay. I've, I've done my best to not at any point put myself in a situation where my um, intentions would be mistaken for something else. So very conscious but of that. I feel that's horrible that the onus is on you. It shouldn't be. You should be able to walk around with your hands in your pockets if you want to. You should yeah, be able you know. to wear a hoodie if you want to. Right, I feel right. bad that you carry the weight of showing everybody, hey, look, I'm good. I'm good. That That's just not fair. I wouldn't say it's a weight now. Um, I think it's just, you know, 
<laughs> yeah, I guess I guess it is kind of a weight. Um, but you know, I just just don't want my intentions uh, mistaken because I I, yeah. honestly, I know not everyone's like that. Not everyone is thinking I'm doing something shady. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to give anyone the you know the intention mm-hmm. that it might be. So, yeah. How big of you? You gl- it seems like you gladly carry that burden, and it might not even feel like a burden anymore. It's just become a way of life for you. It seems. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever had to deal? with these small microaggressions or passive aggressive comments regarding race or neighborhoods or your people or the black community. Have you ever had to deal with that? And if so, how do you respond? I'm curious to know. Yeah, uh, really it's been more recent years. I think the, while I love the internet, the internet has brought out the best and the worst in people. Hasn't um, it? Yes. It, yes. And including myself, like I, it's brought out the worst in me. Like I'm mm-hmm. you know, about to go at it in somebody in the comments. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, I think it's just of unbeknownst biases of, you know, using the terms like black on black crime. Yeah. Whenever we're addressing specifically like excessive police violence, like, well, what about black compliant, black on black crime? I'm like, well, yeah, that's an issue too. But right now we're talking about police violence and we don't go around saying white on white crime. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's a problem too. Like crime is, crime is, crime is a problem. You know what I it mean? It is. We're just talking about a specific issue right now. And, um, you know, we can't skirt around that cause it's not going to solve either one. Me bringing up uh, black on black crime when I'm talking about police violence, isn't going to solve either one of these problems. No. Um, and so that's kind of been mainly what I've been seeing is like, different viewpoints I think people have on maybe even uh, black people in general that they really don't know that they have. Cause I've seen some comments of how, like in a lot of these cases, um, you know, uh, I guess we can take Priyana Taylor for instance. So mm-hmm. while she wasn't asleep in her bed, she was actually standing up in the hallway, but there was no, you know, drugs in her house. Her boyfriend at the time was clean. He didn't, he wasn't doing anything shady. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, there was 32 shots fired in her apartment and 32. Okay. While it may have been by the book, quote unquote, um, I still think it was wrong. Um, yeah. Was the book right? Yeah. Was the book right? I mean, there's been plenty of times in history where things were legal, but it wasn't right. Exactly. We hide behind the law, don't we? Yeah. It's yeah. Um, but you know, those instances of, of taking a viewpoint because that's how, you know, you think it should be like, I, I, you know, I have to agree with whatever my political party is telling me or stuff like that. But I'm like, well, what if they're wrong? Like, what if what they're telling you is their own biases and you really haven't sought to learn for yourself, uh, you know, what is, what is actually true in this case? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I've, I'm trying to get people to get out of their political boxes has been a challenge. Um, and I'm trying not to get trapped into one. Um, cause I, yeah, that's a hard task. Good luck with that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> People but, identify way too much with their political party and not as much with, I hold, I value this viewpoint mm-hmm. instead of my party says it, I follow it. I believe it no matter without thinking. Right. Right. Yeah. And trying to get over that battle has been, has been difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with topics such as police violence. 
Um, and it, but it, but, but the good that has come out of it has had some really good conversations with friends. Cause I don't, I don't hate police at all. Um, and so, you know, I've had some, I went and talked to an officer, matter of fact, uh, in 2016, 2017, around that time and, you know, wanted to get his viewpoint on things. And so I believe in, in having conversation and working things out, but it takes a, uh, an admittance of this is an issue. Like mm -hmm. last year we saw some serious issues that are still around. And, you know, if we continue to act like these problems don't exist, you know, then civil unrest will most likely continue because we haven't got to the root um, of these issues. Sorry, I went off on a tangent a little bit, but, um, you know, I really just think that I've, I've seen these little viewpoints of black people that, you know, maybe hidden racism. I've even had to check myself. Like one day I was pumping gas and um, I saw this uh, black man. He was probably about a little bit younger than me. And he was just walking mine in his business. I'm like, what is he up to? Is he up to something shady? I was like, wait, whoa. Why is that my first thought Ooh. of this guy that's just chilling, minding his own business? Um, and so yeah. I'm like, dang, what have I been taught about myself about, because, you know, I'm, I didn't look, you know, I may have been dressed, you know, a little bit nicer that day, but that doesn't make me better than him. Mm -hmm. um, and so examining my own biases of what I've been taught about black people, I think is, is really important. Um, I've never told anyone that, but um, you know, I think there are some hidden uh, viewpoints that we've had that may have been passed down that black people are this or black people are that in. For sure. Um, we've got to start to unlearn them and treat people, um, you know, with the highest level of respect and give them the benefit of the doubt. Isn't that the truth? What wisdom you already have at such a young age. And I really appreciate your self-reflection. If all of us would do that more often, we might be surprised with what we find that we kind of like, like to gloss over or hide within ourselves. Yeah. And that honest reflection is what brings it out to the open and makes us deal with it and transform those negative stereotypes or ideas or right. false assumptions we've been walking around with. And we don't know why, like you said. Yeah. It's like, you know, what have I been, you know, what have I been taught about myself or I've heard mm -hmm. about myself that I've internalized that think, you know, a, a black guy walking in a, a gas station parking lot is being suspicious. Like for sure. If, if I'm thinking that, you know, what is your average, you know, white person thinking? So uh -huh. like, but where did this all come from? And so you got to look at the history of, you know, how, you know, black people were depicted in exactly in, in throughout history. And, and so, you know, there's a long, there's a long route, but I think we have the power to overcome those stereotypes and, I, you know, I'm going to make it a point not to stereotype you and, you know, make it a point not to stereotype me, and, you know, treat your neighbors right, man. That's what it comes down to. What a simple way to, let's just do that. Why not? It seems yeah. so easy, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, man. But, you know, if you start with the principle first, mm -hmm. you know, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. This is one of the greatest commandments that you can do. That's simple love broken down. Isn't love it? your neighbor as yourself. Um, and if we start there, half of these, most of the stuff wouldn't even exist. Most of these problems would just boom. If we just love people, how we're supposed to. It's the easiest and the hardest thing in the world, isn't it? Absolutely. I do love how you are mentioning, you took the initiative to have a dialogue with a police officer. What I love about that is the dialogues are necessary. Too many of us want to make the other, whoever that other is, the enemy, 
somehow. Um, we want to villainize them, not villainize, vilify them. We yeah. want to not listen to their point of view. But even Martin Luther King Jr. said, you know, there's a little bit of truth, even what the, my enemy says. Like, I want to listen to what you have to say because there's a trace amount of truth in that that I need to listen to. Talk about love. He's the guy who <laughs> yeah. showed it with his life. My goodness. How have your interactions with police officers been? You can admit that there's um, a police violence problem, but not hate the police. Um, you can say, I appreciate the police, but I've also been wrongly stereotyped by the police. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about your um, experience with policemen. Yeah, um, it's been interesting because um, I've mostly, I've basically always had a positive interaction with police, actually, which is good to hear. It's a blessing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but that does not mean I haven't had moments where I was scared. You know, I, I can remember moments where I was like scared. And I think it was during those times when there was more, you were seeing more of, of these police killings happen. And so I was, you know, a little bit on edge. Um, and, you know, I would see a cop and I'm like, you know, I'm flipping my head around. Am I going the speed limit? Am I, because, you know, you, you would see these, someone getting pulled over for a broken taillight ends up getting killed, um, you know, know. and. That's something we use in the story, but I mean, that's happened in real life. And so it's like, you know, even mm -hmm. these little interactions have turned into, you know, death sentences. And so having that in the back of my head kind of drove the fear. But as you know, as time has gone on, I'm like, okay, I'm going to um, trust that I'm obeying the law. I'm going to trust that I'm doing the right thing and that I will, you know, treat this officer right. Because I don't live in an area where it's, you know, very, uh, I guess you could say, uh, heavy, I'm trying to think of the word, um, you know, more of it like your urban Chicago or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I live in, in live in a kind of suburban area with some cities. Um, and so, you know, the police officers actually been really, really good in this area. I think um, I've had, had some people that have had some run ins, some situations. So but for me personally, my interactions have actually been really good. So props to them for treating people right. <laughs> yes. And I, I realized that there are uh, positive police forces out there who recognize the problem and are actively working towards educating their force and um, actively trying to do better. Right, um, think, so yeah, we don't want to vilify the entire group at right. all just because there's some bad apples, right? Right. And I would say that, you know, if we don't get rid of the bad apples, you know, it's a, it makes the whole department look bad. Yes. Um, because there's a very stressful uh, history of black people and police like yes there we is look, we got to look at the facts like we can go back to the 80s we can go back to the 90s we can go back to the two early 2000s there's mm -hmm. a history there of them just clashing and so yes you know I'm, i don't speak for all black people here but a lot of times there is a genuine distrust for police because of how they've handled things for sure mm -hmm. i can understand the seeds of fear that are put into so many african americans based on past experience. No wonder. I don't blame you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have any stories like that in my history, in my past. I don't mm -hmm. have a, a reason to fear. Right. right. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think a big thing is like, if we act like these things don't exist, um, you know, you're really discounting other people's experiences because, yes. you know, you may, you may not have experienced that interaction with police, but someone else, you know, 
that grew up in a certain area, yeah, they may not have had the best experience. Um, and so, you know, I've seen that and, you know, I wanted to bring that into the story as well as, as we told it and, you know, tried to tell it honestly. Uh, but at the same time, like you said, not vilify police. I just think that, you know, for me, I would think that the people that support support the police would be like, hey, you know, these guys don't represent us as a whole. Let's get mm -hmm. these people out of here. I would mm -hmm. I would think that would be the response. Whereas we I've, I've seen people jumping through hoops to defend people shooting someone six times at point blank for for a broken taillight. And I'm like, yeah. how is that? How is that right? You know, so I had a guest who said, why can't we support the police and support black lives? I'm like, excellent question. <laughs> it's, it's, it's possible. Like, hey, I, I know, you know, there's there are other there's a court system. So if these people are criminals, as you suppose, they need to go to court and have their due time in jail. But for, for sure. people getting killed and getting kneeled on for eight minutes for a 20 a, alleged $20 counterfeit bill in the case of George Floyd, that ain't right. Mm -hmm. You know, that just ain't right. <laughs> so does your medium, does your podcast help you deal with people's insensitivities or with the current civil unrest at hand or inequality? Is, is that your outlet or do you have other ways of dealing with these frustrations? That's a good question. Um, I think I've, I've probably written maybe three or four specific posts this year that kind of informed my outlets for my frustration. I think for me with the podcast, although I definitely think it is therapeutic slightly, um, it's just a way of, I want to present this in a different way so that people will come to understand, mm -hmm. like, you know, here's, here are all these different viewpoints. Here's the situation. And here's how I think that we can come together to solve this. Um, and so I think, I think it is therapeutic for me to, cause you know, I, I had our whole writer's room for this show and getting to work with some other friends who were kind of feeling the same way. We still try to present the facts um mm -hmm. non uh like jumping to one side or another just present the story as it is um but you know it's 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 definitely therapeutic i think but i i've mostly aired out my frustrations in writing uh like here's okay. this long post of here's here's this this is why i think this and at the end of the day i still like to call for unity i still like to call for us to treat each other better i, I don't like attacking other people um mm -hmm and um, villainizing because then I don't think I can win them over that way. I, st I still want to choose love first. Um, mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like, you know, we still have some things we need to address. I can't imagine how hard it must have been to write for the opposing viewpoint when you were in that writer's room coming up with all the different characters it and was actually writing easy. for each viewpoint or was easy because that's all you hear in the news anymore, maybe. <laughs> no, no, it, it just, I, you know, I, uh, you know, growing up, I was in more of a conservative circle um, and, um, personally, I consider myself a moderate now, although I do have some conservative values. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, I, I was hearing, I was seeing that viewpoint on my news feed. So I was like, but I still wanted to write authentically from this character. And I wanted to say like, okay, what does this character think? How did this character come to that viewpoint? And I still wanted to write them fairly. Um, and so, you know, throughout the series, her viewpoint gets challenged as well as people on the other side, their viewpoint gets challenged. Good, um, good. That so. we need that. We all need that because we end up getting on our high horses or our soapboxes thinking that ours is the only correct way. And that's very dangerous when you don't take the time to listen to the opposing viewpoint. I'm just yeah. impressed with how mature you are about all of this. 
Wow, that takes a depth of knowledge and experience and sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, thank you for that. I just, you know, I'm a very, uh, I guess you could say happy-go-lucky person. I'm very outgoing. And so I want to get along with everyone. I hate conflict. <laughs> so <laughs> I hate it. Um, and so, you know, I just, I'm the kind of guy that just like wants everyone to love each other. And I know that's, you know, I mean, that always happen, but I, I want to do my part to, to help that. So you are. You definitely are. And I can tell you come across as that exact thing that you value for sure. Well, one of the last questions I want to get to before we get to our closing question um, came from a book I read by Ibram Kendi, where he says that racism is not caused, in his opinion, by hate or ignorance, but by self-interest. And I'm genuinely interested in your take on that and if you agree or if, if you hold a different viewpoint. Yeah, that is a, that is a very interesting question. Um, uh, ultimately, for me, as, as a believer in Christ, I believe that hate, uh, racism is a sin problem. Um, and so that can be fueled by a lot of different things. That could be fueled by hate. That could be fueled by self-interest. That could be mm. fueled by what you've been taught your whole life, what you grew up uh, around, you know dad was had some said some sketchy things and so you kind of kept doing what dad did and followed after his footsteps you know and that could be on either side of the spectrum um and so i guess for me it can be any of those things it could be you know everyone's a little bit different and you know some people it just takes the light switch going off to say oh okay that's why oh why do i believe that so but other people it's a rage it's like this is this is how it is this is how it will be um so i don't know if i could say that it's it's one particular or the other, I think, for different people and may come from a different place. Mm-hmm. That's very understanding of you. Just like everything about you seems to be very understanding. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I try to, I, I got to live that out better, but you know, yeah. Yeah, we're all on the path to growth and transformation, aren't we? Yeah. It's just where you are right now and, and it's, a, it's a good place. Well, for your closing questions, I'll start with what is your one tip that you think would make the world a better place? Oh, that's easy. I already said it earlier. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, that's even, I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of even what the show is about. Like, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself and seeing them as, as someone uh, that's just like you, that just may have a different skin tone or a different flavor of music or mm-hmm. you know different this or that but you know at the end of the day you know we're, we're called to love people and so you know i want to do that uh to someone else love your neighbor as yourself so true because we give ourselves benefit of the doubt we give ourselves, hey that wasn't my intention i mean i might have acted mean but my intention was x y or z or we give ourselves a lot of leniency and room and if you really put that into practice you're right. We would see a very different society. Yeah. But that's not the easy path. It's not, but it's worth it though. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. What are you the most thankful for right now? Man, um, I'm going to say my parents. Because, um, you know, my parents are, are starting to get older. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people uh, lose their parents over the last couple of years. Uh, able to see them and talk with them every day. Um, and so, you know, even my grandmother, well, she's, I think she's 85 now. And so she's still kicking it. She's still walking. She still uh, has full brain function. And so, 
Beautiful. You know, I'm, so I'm thankful for that, you know. Even through COVID, they're all doing okay. Yes. No one's gotten sick. I'm yeah. so glad to hear yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, lastly, what is your favorite quote? So I'm a big Spider-Man fan. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got to go, Uncle Ben, mm -hmm. with great power uh, comes great responsibility. Um, I think uh, I've seen that ring true um, in, in a lot of different cases. I think in government, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Like, you know, yes. you, if you're in position of authority or even if you're positioned as a leader, you know, you have a responsibility to, you know, as I always keep saying, treat your people well and to mm -hmm. try to do the best by them and by the country or by whatever you're leading. So mm -hmm. I, think, I think for me, that's definitely something that's ring true. I love that. Just for fun, which Spider-Man movie is your favorite? Ooh, okay. So I guess right now probably it would be Into the Spider-Verse. I was going to say that. I thought that's what you would say. I love yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah, that was genius. Yeah, I'm a big Miles Morales fan. I actually did a fan film uh, acting as him. So before the really? movie. Really? Like, yeah, two years before the movie came out. So I'm definitely a big Spider-Man fan. Super cool. Josh, it's been fantastic visiting with you today, getting to know you, seeing the world through your positive lens and your, maybe positive is not the right word, maybe your loving lens would be a more accurate word. Thank you for joining there. me. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure talking with you as well. Hearing Josh talk about how he's constantly thinking about and actively working at not coming across as shady really makes me sad. I hate that the onus is often on black people to look non-threatening. This is not right, and it saddens me that this is a daily reality for African Americans. They are fighting a centuries-long battle of stereotypes and false information that are rampant among white Americans. Let's change this. Speaking of that, I really, really appreciate Josh's confession that even he sometimes harbors questionable viewpoints against other black people. Would that we all were so honest and forthcoming to deal with our own shadow selves. I couldn't agree more with his conclusion that we must unlearn hidden lessons we were taught or even learned by osmosis about black people or any negative stereotypes or ideas about any race for that matter. Giving everyone the benefit of the doubt goes a long way. One of the things I love about Josh are his convictions. He holds them strongly, but not in a self-righteous way. He is brokenhearted over police violence and the effect it has had disproportionately on black communities. Yet, instead of becoming cynical about the police, he takes the initiative to reach out to them, to learn and to grow and to be in dialogue. I also love how Josh challenges us on the phrase black on black crime. We must come to the realization that that phrase is a racist way of saying crime. I really appreciate the wisdom Josh lives by at such a young age. He has already come to the understanding that we all experience the world a different way based on our experiences, where we grow up, and the traumas we've faced. He knows not to discredit anyone else's opinion because it doesn't match his narrative or his lived experience. Although he admittedly gets frustrated with the systemic problems our country has, he actively works at not vilifying the other 
and at working towards unity. Would that we were all this wise. May we all learn to better love our neighbor as ourselves, as Josh has. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.